Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Thursday, Hawkeye fans. Welcome into a Cy-Hawk and Citrus Bowl edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour. One day later than usual, but still right here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, a sports columnist who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, I am with you tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock here on Des Moines Sports Station. This is our first show since Iowa's Sunday confirmation that the 10-3 and three Hawkeyes will be headed to Orlando for the January 1st Citrus Bowl against 8-4 and four Tennessee of the SEC. I'll have Hawk Central teammate Dargan Southerd on later in the show, in part because he grew up a Vols fan, follows them religiously, and he is our Iowa women's basketball reporter. So we've got a 67-58 to 58 Iowa win in Ames to discuss as well. That gives the first half or so of our show to myself and Hawkeyes reporter Tyler Tashman, who's based in Iowa City. We will tackle some more Hawkeye football, including the offensive coordinator search that is just getting going for Kirk Ferentz, and tonight's Cyhawk men's basketball game in Ames. A lot going on. Tyler, what a week for you. You get to go to Mackey Arena on Monday and Hilton Coliseum tonight. What do you think of all that? Yeah, it's pretty nice. And, I mean, if you take into account on Saturday uh, at the Big Ten Championship, so just making my rounds around the Midwest, I guess. <laughs> How was your time in Indiana, by the way? You went to a Hoosiers game. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I love being back in Indiana. Uh, IU beat Maryland, and Maryland is just abysmal. But, it, yeah, it was <laughs> I it can't was believe nice Maryland's that bad. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. So I thought they were going to be pretty good, but they were just, yeah, it was... It was pretty bad how horrible they were. And the Hoosiers got a new football coach. Uh, they made it higher. Iowa Iowa football has not made an OC higher yet. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we do want to focus on men's basketball with the game tipping off at 630 tonight. So a little urgency there. But I do promise we've got some football talk coming. Hawkeyes lost on Monday, Tyler, to Purdue 87-68. to But obviously the score was not that close. Uh, that was a hard to watch game. I honestly, like, I covered the team and I was like, I'm not watching the rest. <laughs> so I'm just going to read what Tyler said. I'll rewatch it later. Uh, that was terrible. A really, really bad game. But obviously, how much of that do you chalk up to kind of horrible timing because of what Northwestern did to Purdue uh, on Friday? Yeah, that's, I think, partly fair to do that. And it would be unrealistic, um, I think, for for you to think for people to think that okay I was going to go into Mackey and win that that seems like a little bit of a you know a stretch of the imagination for as, as far as expectations go but it, it was fair at least in my mind for Iowa to compete and, and to make it look competitive maybe in a in a way that it did against Creighton right that was a very similar kind of uh, raucous atmosphere uh, there's not a whole lot of expectations for Iowa to win, but if they put up a good fight, you at least feel good coming out of it. And Iowa just, I mean, just look really disconnected. Um, of course, Zach Eady is going to be difficult to guard, but he didn't even play for more for the the back half for more than half of the second half, and he still had 25 points. He was just, you know, absolutely dominant. Uh, it was. You know, it's not a performance where you're like, okay, push the panic button, everything has gone bad. But it was like, okay, Iowa has a lot of things to figure out because they struggled offensively. 
which is based, that was to me the biggest concern is because that's how Iowa beats teams, right? They're not going to beat teams with their lockdown defense. They're going to beat teams by outrunning them, out shooting them, outscoring them. And this was the second time, really, uh, when you look back at the Oklahoma loss, where mm-hmm. they just they just look dysfunctional at times offensively. And um, so again, not a time to push push the panic button, but. This, this team is definitely right now, they, they have a long way to go if they want to achieve what, what they hope to. Yeah, that was, uh, they were down 35 at one point. So I, but, but believe me, I've watched a lot of Iowa blowout losses over there, and it's, it's like the one place where they just cannot play well. <laughs> and uh, it's just never been a good matchup. Iowa hasn't won there since uh, the 15-16 season, uh, which was a really stirring win over there, comeback win. Uh, but anyway... Uh, one area I wanted to ask you about, Tyler, was is kind of the point guard position because you look at DeSante Bowen plays 13 minutes, Josh Dix plays 12 and a half minutes, Brock Harding plays 14 minutes. Uh, it's clear that Fran McCaffrey is kind of still searching at that position. Yeah, that to me is actually like one of the least of Iowa's concerns. Um, to me, what the bigger issues right now is the guys that you, the returners that you were really hoping to take major steps forward, Peyton Sanford, uh, Tony Perkins, Patrick McCaffrey, they haven't done that on a consistent enough basis. They haven't been those kind of alpha that you can count on, on, on a, any given night. And to me, that's just the indication of these are guys that are trying to get acclimated to their, to their new roles. Right. Because if last season, they score five points, nine points, whatever it might be. You have Chris Murray, you have Philip Abracha. Um, there are guys there that are sort of like a safety net. Well, well, now they that group is the guys that need to be that safety net to when others are playing well. So uh, it feels like they're you know those guys are still kind of figuring out taking that that major step forward uh, consistently because they they've shown it in flashes and this team has shown promising signs and flashes, which I think is important to point out, but it, it hasn't been consistently. And uh, another thing, I guess, more of a concern to me than the point guard play, I know I'm not really probably taking this the way you wanted to, but um, is is the, the size disadvantage. And Iowa did get bigger this offseason. Owen Freeman has been really good. Uh, ben Cricky is undersized, but he's been good as well. But if, if, if they play smaller, which they have done, uh, they need they need to beat teams with their versatility. They need to make up for their lack of size with the with their versatility. And uh, against Purdue was kind of like a great example of that. Can Iowa put Zach Eady in difficult defensive spots? Can they get him in foul trouble? Can they can they use their you know quickness and and uh, versatility to beat the size? And it was pretty clear against Purdue they weren't able to. So. Uh, they need to figure that out. They need to they need to find a way to make up for their lack of size in, in other ways. And certainly against Purdue, that wasn't the case. Patrick McCaffrey, one for five from the floor. Tony Perkins, uh, you know, however much stock you want to put into plus minus. I put a little stock into it. He was minus 27 the other night in 30 minutes. So uh, Peyton Sanford, uh, you know, three for 10 from the floor, you know, just just not a good game overall. Anyway, let's look ahead to tonight's game against Iowa State because uh, Hawkeyes are about a six and a half, seven point underdog. Uh, Iowa State's a good team, really good team, uh, but this but this spread kind of 
uh, piques my interest a little bit because uh, I, I was not expected to necessarily get blown out in this game. I think it could be pretty exciting, could be a good game. Uh, number 33 in the net, I noticed Iowa was, even after the loss the other night. And uh, Iowa State, 19 in the net. I know it's super early to talk about that stuff, but this is a major quad one opportunity for the Hawkeyes to kind of bounce back. This is a win that could could be a resume, you know, something to throw on their resume um, come March. But Iowa State, 6-2, um, and two, the two major opponents they've played, they lost both of them. So their schedule has not been as difficult as Iowa. They beat, or they lost to Virginia Tech, lost to Texas A&M. Uh, their best win per Ken Palm comes against VCU. And, and Iowa has been already, I mean, it's only December. They have been, they've played probably among two of the most difficult road games in college basketball. They, they played at Creighton. True. Yep. legitimate Final Four contender, uh, played at Purdue. If, if they are able to get past their March Madness uh, struggles, that's a national championship contender with the best player in the country. So Iowa has, you know, if you're looking at how is what Iowa has done, you know, they've struggled a little bit, but this could pay off in the long run. But the, that's the fact is they have to show growth in order for that to happen. It's not just going to be like, well, if you get blown out at Purdue, you're automatically going to be better. They they have to take those steps forward. Um, but Iowa State hasn't hasn't played that. I think this is actually not a bad matchup for Iowa. And uh, last time they lost, or not, or yeah, in the Oklahoma game, they came out strong against Seton Hall, beat them. Uh, it's going to be a difficult difficult uh, environment. But I actually think that uh, you know if if Iowa can bounce back like they did against Oklahoma, I don't think this is a terrible matchup for them. Yeah, something interesting is that Iowa State uh, under T.J. Otzelberger has played a really defensive, low-scoring style the last couple of years, but that's not the case this year. They were 328 in tempo last year on Ken Palm, adjusted tempo, and are all the way all the way up to 84th in adjusted tempo this year. So they're running. They're running. They've scored 85 points in five of their eight games, uh, 99 uh, most recently, and then Iowa, of course, is number 27 in tempo. So this should be a really fast-paced game. You're right. It kind of plays into Iowa's style, um, kind of like the Creighton game, except maybe not as good of a team as Creighton. But the atmosphere uh, certainly will be crazy. Taman Lipsy is their best player. 15.1 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists. Uh, he's a 6-1 sophomore guard. He's going to be a lot to contain tonight. Uh, any Anything else you're watching tonight, Tyler? Yeah, I, I think part of the reason I feel like it's not a, you know, a terrible matchup for Iowa, like you were saying, is because they have played in kind of high-scoring affairs. And, yeah, Iowa State is, is not Creighton. Creighton basically plays the style that Iowa plays except to the, the highest possible level. Um, so, you know, if Iowa does get in a track meet in this game, uh, feel like, you know, they have a good shot. Also, uh, Iowa State isn't, like, huge. Um, so, I, you know, that helps. Yep. Iowa – Iowa will have to uh, take care of stuff on the boards, but I don't think that Iowa State will really be able to overwhelm them with size like Purdue did. So um, that's another thing I, you know, I look at as a potential encouraging sign going into the game. You're listening to Hawks Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Hawkeyes with Tyler Tashman. 
Uh, Tyler, let's, let's move into football. So far, some you know, we knew this would be a heavy transfer portal week. So far, really not a ton of names in there yet for the Hawkeyes. Four thus far, uh, you know, as we record this, uh, Brendan Diaz Fernandez, uh, cornerback, Ontario Thompson, defensive tackle, Deontay Vines, the wide receiver, and Joey Labus. Uh, that was the least surprising entry of all at quarterback. Uh, not a lot of activity so far. I think Thompson of those of that group is probably going to be, you know, maybe the most impactful loss down the road. Potentially, he's got a lot of upside uh, for sure. And I saw he had an Indiana offer. Good grief! He did. Kurt, Kurt Signetti getting on the case early. <laughs> Signetti, no, actually- Signetti. Okay, I got. It. That's good. I'm glad you got the pronunciation. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Coach, kind of a, comparatively Coach. like a light. Uh, exit so far but from what i understand there's still a lot of guys kind of waiting to see what happens at offensive coordinator anyway what do you think of the portal activity thus far the um the one that surprised me a little bit was ontario because it felt like he he was in line for if not next it seemed like next season maybe a, a bigger role on the defensive line um and if not next season you know in the in the future beyond that but uh he had been raved about by his teammates uh, because of his athleticism and obviously had a major impact on special teams with the mm-hmm. two block punts. But it that that was one that I guess was the most surprising to me and feels like might have the, I guess, more longer-term implications if you want to look at it from that sense. But, um, yeah, there's still obviously a lot of time to go and uh, – a lot of, lot of things to kind of shake out. For sure, yeah. I mean, assuming roster stuff holds, you would expect Y.A. Black and Aaron Graves to be your starters next year, so Ontario at best was probably in a backup role. Not that that necessarily is a bad thing at Iowa because you rotate in anyway, but uh, I imagine a lot of other teams around the country noticed his uh, talents, his athleticism, saw the quotes about other what other guys were saying about him, and, uh, you know, is going to be pretty sought after, I think, in the portals. So, uh, let's look at uh, the offensive coordinator search, which uh, I wrote about this week. Uh, it's kind of just getting going with Iowa playing in the Big Ten Championship last week. Obviously, Brian Ferentz, uh, you know, in his final weeks on the Hawkeye staff here. But uh, I, the biggest part of this for me, and, uh, you know, there was some some feedback, both good and bad, from what I wrote. I hope you guys check it out at hawkcentral.com. But uh, the urgency from from my reporting is very important (laughs) right now because there are guys on this roster waiting to hear who the offensive coordinator is going to be and and anybody who who you know out there said oh Kirk already knows who he had that I can assure you that that is not true Uh, he's just starting to get into it now so uh, those guys need to know obviously the portal closes on January 2nd and uh, at at this point we expect Brian Ferentz to be calling the plays in the Citrus Bowl but uh I think it could be damaging if there's not some kind of clarity by the time that bowl game starts because that's when the portal closes. No, I agree. And I think, and, and especially just the way, I guess, college sports and the world is kind of trending of where it you see less and less patience, right? Less and less yeah. of people just willing to sit and wait and, uh, let things play out. You know, you can jump in the portal. You can, you know, there's it's a you know social media with instant gratification. Like there's, it's just the world is geared to moving fast. And um, I think it would be a lot to ask of someone to 
you know, you know, especially someone on the offense, is you don't even know who's going to be calling plays. You don't know who they, what connections they might have in bringing in guys or whatever. So, um, I think, you know, I think that's really fair. And and the other thing that I've said before is that whoever he brings in, I think you need you need to give him a little bit of jurisdiction to add his own player to the offense. I don't think it it can't be the same exact thing that Iowa, you know, has run under Brian Ferentz. It needs to be a little bit maybe more appealing to the modern game of football. Kirk Ferentz has shown the ability to, in the transfer portal, to, to kind of, I guess, alter his philosophy slightly, to be able to evolve. Um, same thing with NIL. I think it's time uh, for whoever is going to be the offensive coordinator uh, to be able to put their stamp a little bit on the offense. Maybe it's not going to be an air raid offense. Which I, uh, it definitely won't would, be, yeah. Yeah, but, but I think it's... It needs to be a little bit more geared toward the way that the modern game is trending, which is opening it up a little bit more. Some style that's going to be more appealing to recruits and guys in the portal and stuff of that nature. So, um, hope you know whoever whoever is the choice feels like it's important for it just not to be a regurgitation mm-hmm. of the schemes that that have been you know the in, in the recent history, but to have a little bit of their own flair to it. Yeah, and there's there's only so much I can say, or only so much I even know now. But I, from the little reporting, or not little reporting, from the reporting that I can tell you, I do not think, even though I included his name in the story, the you know since I wrote that, I do not think that John Budmeyer probably is your next offensive coordinator, even though he's been in an analyst on the staff. I think that'd be a tough sell too, just with the performance of the last two years. Nothing against him at all. Maybe he becomes the quarterbacks coach, but I do not think he's going to be the outside offensive coordinator i think kirk ferentz goes to the outside a couple names um you know that that i put into the to the article uh, you know of guys that are available right away would be would be paul chris we've talked about him before he's at texas right now as an analyst uh the former wisconsin coach obviously he's getting ready for a college football playoff um so maybe there's some some leeway given there if if in fact he is even possibly a candidate then another name that's kind of interesting is joe philbin former ferentz staffer he's a an offensive analyst at Ohio State right now, former head coach of the Dolphins, uh, Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Most recently, uh, before the Ohio State stop, was the O-line coach for the Dallas Cowboys. So certainly a guy Kirk Ferentz trusts, a guy that uh, has had his hands in high-level offenses, high-performing offenses, and uh, you know may not be the innovator that you want, but could be the type of guy that that Kirk says, yeah, you know, I trust you, <laughs> and and he knows how Iowa plays as well. Uh, but but obviously some some outside names, you know, will come about as well. Hopefully, um, Tim Polisek did not get the head coach job at Wyoming, so interested to see if he gets a sniff as offensive coordinator, the former Hawkeye offensive line coach, uh, who is who is now the OC at Wyoming. Uh, he has a lot of respect within that room. Um, it, it was a, a very talented quarterback himself. So he's the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, former O-line coach at Iowa. Decent. Some familiar names there, but obviously you hope that that Ferentz kind of entertains uh, some other prospects as well. Uh, one more topic before we close up uh, the offense conversation here, Tyler, is uh, during our Citrus Bowl news conference with Kirk Ferentz, uh, you know, he kind of reiterated Deacon Hill will be or is the starter and gives them the best chance to win. So I would expect him to start uh, against Tennessee on January 1st. Yeah, that wasn't much of, of a surprise just given 
Yeah, it was a tough else. game though, man, for that offense. Rewatching yeah. it was really tough. Yeah, but I mean, given the given the way that Kirk has stuck with Deacon, the you know the since he came in for Cade, uh, that wasn't you know it wasn't much surprise. I mean, it's also I feel like in, in maybe given the circumstances, I don't know, but you would almost kind of like Marco Linus to just throw him out there and see what uh, you know he can do, uh, but. Because I, I feel like the you know the 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 value of bowl games maybe at least in my eyes has diminished because because of the portal and because I don't know it just doesn't like feel like as much I think get younger guys in there potentially and uh, see what you know use it as kind right. of like a proving ground or a tryout I guess you could say um, I don't know if Marco Linus will get a chance but that actually does kind of bring up a point and I don't know how you feel about this of what if if Iowa does Iowa dip into the portal at quarterback or no? Mm-hmm. You have you have Linez really young. You have Deacon Hill, who obviously has been through a lot this. If you necessarily you don't want him to long term option. Then you have Cade McNamara, uh, who at his best can be very good. We didn't really see what his best is this season, but he's also coming off major injuries for the second consecutive season. So I'm curious to see as the portal gets ramped up and all that, what is, you know, and it might depend on who is the next offensive coordinator, but what is, what does Iowa do at quarterback? Do they, do they trust the guys they have, or are they going to try to add someone from the portal? Yeah, I think adding someone at quarterback is going to be a tough sell just because number one, you don't have an OC yet. Number two, Cade McNamara says he's coming back. So what quarterback, you know, is going to want to come in unless he's young, you know, wants to sit behind Cade McNamara. But Iowa's got young guys coming in, Marco Linez, uh, James Rezar, uh, and then, of course, Deacon Hill has experience. And uh, Kirk Ferentz has shown he's tough to beat out because of how he practices. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably – I would – my bet would be that they don't pursue quarterback options in the portal. There's a, there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, I think the the bigger help they're going to probably need is a receiver. Obviously, you, you lose Ragini, you lose Vines. Uh, not that they, you know, not that they were world breakers, uh, but uh, world beaters, I should say, game breakers, world beaters. Uh, interested to see what happens with Seth Anderson. Um, you know, I, I believe he can transfer. Um, you know, see if he stays. Caleb Brown. You know, it seems like he's going to stay uh, after transferring from Ohio State. That's good, but. Uh, yeah, I think receiver is probably a number one priority in the portal, but you got to be able to sell people on that as well. All right, coming up next, we will converse about defense, the Broyles Award winner, and end-of-season awards for Iowa football. You're listening to Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico, Hawkeyes columnist for the Des Moines Register, joined, as always, by Hawkeyes beat writer Tyler Tashman, a reminder that we will get to the Citrus Bowl a little later with Dargan Southard, who can fill us in on Iowa's opponent, the Tennessee Volunteers. All right, uh, Tyler, Phil Parker, uh, I was kind of surprised. He did win the Broyles Award. Obviously, I felt like he deserved it, especially after the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, kind of outclassing, and I wouldn't say outclassing, out his unit was the best one on the field when it, when it compared Iowa versus the Michigan offense and Sharon Moore of Michigan, who was also a finalist. So really good to see. I feel like it's kind of a career award uh, in some ways too. But, uh, you know, this might be the best job that Phil Parker 
has done on defense. So uh, a chance for us to to give Phil and that defensive staff uh, a lot of praise here. We've talked a lot about the offense, but he's quietly gone about his business and uh, basically repeated what uh, he did last year uh, almost more impressively. And if you think about what Iowa lost from last season's defense, they lose Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, Lucas Van Ness, Kayvon Merriweather. They, I mean, they lost some really key pieces, and it felt like kind of in the offseason there was just an assumption that, like, yep, they're going to be fine because Phil Parker has things figured out, and you know what? They were fine, and they were really good again, and they filled those departures, Jay Higgins, uh emerging as like kind of building his own legacy after waiting in the shadows of Jack Campbell. You have Nick Jackson coming in. Uh, so it was, I mean, it was, it was a testament to, I think it, what Phil Parker has built, but it's also like this, this wasn't a one like season job. Like the, the, this, right. the fact that I was defense was this way is like a result of years of work, like of, Jay Higgins, you know, waiting and um, the, just the way that the defense has been built. That's why, and like, I, I don't want to really go into the whole thing about like, you know, people trying to hire away Phil Parker or anything, but I think part of the reason the defense is so good is because he's laid the groundwork and laid the foundation. This isn't something that you can just go in, snap your fingers in after a year. It's there. Like, this is something that takes time and patience and effort. And I think you're really seeing over, over the past, you know, however many years that groundwork paying off. Yeah, no question. Uh, and, uh, he is, Iowa's highest paid assistant at 1.3 million a year, but, uh, you know, that may need to be bumped up a little bit. And, uh, same with Seth Wallace, same with Kelvin Bell. I mean, uh, you know, to retain those guys, certainly has to be a high priority for Kirk Ferentz. Uh, I know they're happy here, but also, gosh, I can't, I can imagine, um, you know, Seth Wallace can stay around much longer. Um, he's going to get a DC job somewhere if he wants one. So uh, that also makes, there's a lot of uh, stereo decisions. We'll probably get into that more as we get closer to the bowl game. They're not going to make those decisions now, but, you know, Jamari Harris, Sebastian Castro, Jay Higgins, uh, even Cooper DeGene, you know, as, as a long shot as it might be, there's so many, uh, defensive guys that if they stay, this defense could just be tremendous next year. Uh, and as you said, uh, you know that's Phil Parker kind of laying the groundwork. Um, you know, over a long period of time. Uh, one last point I forgot to mention in our offensive talk was uh, two guys that that also need to know who the OC is going to be are Luke Lachey and Eric Hall because uh, those guys have really important stay or go decisions as well. And uh, you know. I think if Iowa could just keep one of them, that's huge. Um, but uh, that's uh, those two guys. That's a huge storyline to watch uh, over these next several weeks as well, because the NFL deadline is uh, you know early to mid January. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but uh, it's not long after the Citrus Bowl, so they got to make their mind up as well. All right, uh, Tyler, you wrote a really a fun piece of superlatives. Uh, the best part of it was the Kirk Ferentz quotes. I'll let folks read that at HawkCentral.com kind of Ferentz's quotes of the year. Uh, but uh, you named some offensive, an offensive MVP, defensive MVP. Uh, I don't think any surprise that Jay Higgins is defensive MVP, but uh, I liked your offensive MVP choice. Why don't you get into that? That was Leeson Williams, and, and 
obviously there wasn't like a ton of choices offensively, but I feel like he was kind of, he was the rock that, you know, I was sort of needed. And um, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of hype around him coming into the season. A lot of the newcomers, you know, had, you know, had excitement around them. And then certainly Caleb Johnson coming back, but part of Lee Sean's uh, value this season was, you know, was just his availability through, through an offense that was wrecked by so many injuries. He played in all 13 games. Um, and then he also came up with some just really big, timely runs. You look at his long touchdown run against Wisconsin. Uh, that was massive. And then uh, the, the run against Nebraska um, after Ethan Herkett's interception that, that set up what ended up being uh, Marshall Meter's game winner. So, uh, you know, obviously he didn't have a ton of competition, but, you know, he was one of the kind of bright spots and a pleasant surprise really on, a, on an offense that just needed any signs of life. Uh, one award you gave out was most improved position group, and uh, you gave that to the offensive line. Uh, if you had to give uh, a most improved player award, who would you have given that to? I actually thought about that because I was I was gonna do like an offensive most improved and a defensive mm-hmm. most improved, but I almost felt like Jay Higgins was the defensive most improved, and Lee Sean was the offensive most improved, <laughs> and they were both MVPs. So. I was like, should I put those together as like one award? And I was like, nah, that would be fine with just getting the MVP. So I feel yeah. like that that's kind of a testament, I guess, to Iowa's player development that the the two guys that I would put as MVPs on each side of the ball are guys that have been around the program for a while and uh, not necessarily been in the spotlight, but kind of waited their turn and that their development piece has paid off. Ah, great point. Uh, you know, I think most improved from, let's say, August to you know, December 2nd, uh, I would certainly put Caleb Brown at the top of the list, probably the wide receiver from Ohio State who's who went from almost no role to pretty much the featured receiver role in the last month of the year. Uh, Jennings Dunker, right tackle, that was such a huge concern, and he played so well. That was a big absence in the Big Ten Championship game uh, to not have him out there. I think that really hurt Iowa in the run game. And, um, you know, I think uh, – Honestly, like even though he was a transfer, like Nick Jackson just kept coming and coming, and he uh, he improved a lot as the season went on. Really became uh, kind of a star linebacker for that defense. Um, can't say Tory Taylor because he's always good. <laughs> Anyone else that stand out for like uh, kind of uh, Ethan Herkett? What about that? I mean, he's uh, you know that's a guy that really really played some good football down the stretch. Yeah, and I, I put I had. Uh... Nick Jackson as my most impactful transfer. And and I said, like, it would kind of be interesting to see. Like, to me, that was pretty clear cut. But um, it's interesting that it would have been interesting to see if Eric Hall and Cade McNamara had been able to stay healthy for the entire season, how that would have played out. And maybe those two guys, they'll have, they'll be, quote unquote, most impactful uh you know, down the road, depending on, you know, when, what ends up happening. But I also had, you know, you mentioned Caleb Brown. I kind of, two of the other awards I had were like the future is here, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, defensively, Deshaun Lee, uh, who, who made spot, who made starts in, in difficult circumstances with started the first two games of the season uh, when Jamar Harris was suspended. And then when Cooper DeGene went out, uh, started you know the last three games. And, uh, you know, besides that one kind of mistake against Nebraska where he allowed a long touchdown, 
uh, thought he was really good. And, and depending on what Cooper and Jamari decide in the, you know, uh, coming weeks and months about their future at Iowa feel like he can really be uh, a, a key part of the future of Iowa secondary. And then Caleb Brown, I have as my offensive kind of the future is here because what he did, uh, you know, starting in that Northwestern game when he got his first catch of the season and then, and then beyond that, I mean, he, he looked like a guy that could be, you know, a dynamic playmaker in the future for Iowa. So, um, you know, if you want, reason to kind of be optimistic potentially about the future of Iowa's offense and there's there's not a whole lot you know I guess tangibly you can look at right now because there's a lot of uncertainty but he's he is definitely one guy that you look at as a reason to be excited definitely and uh, I'd put Addison Estrenga in that category of most improved as well he kind of had to but uh, he really stepped up uh, with Lachey and all down uh, the second half of the season all right coming up next Dargan Southern joins me to dive into the Tennessee Volunteers and we'll discuss the Iowa women's basketball win against Iowa State last night. What an atmosphere that was. You're listening to Hawk Central on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Thanks to Tyler Tashman for two strong segments. Chad Lystico here of the Des Moines Register, now joined by Dargan Southard, our Iowa women's basketball beat writer, who tonight will also be our resident Tennessee College football expert, Dargan, uh, you uh, obviously are a third guy in the press box uh, for the Hawkeyes, but also a vest- vested interest in the Vols, so uh, I'm excited to get your perspective on this matchup. What is your reaction when you think about the team that you cover and the team that you follow the most playing each other? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because, you know, I was thinking the other day how, um, you know, usually on Saturday I, I – and watching or, or covering Iowa, and then I you got the Vols game on. <laughs> I got the Vols game on. So to me, it was it was just funny how like these two things are going to sync up uh, on January first, and so it's weird to see uh, Iowa media on Twitter talking about Tennessee and Tennessee media talking about Iowa. So, um, but no, it, it, it should it, honestly this to me is maybe the most, and and, and I don't know if. The, the college football world as a whole will agree. But to me, this is the most intriguing non-New Year's Six Bowl because you have two teams who do business completely differently. One team's strength is another team's weakness and vice versa. Um, and it's really just going to be interesting to kind of see who can get the game um, at their pace and at their style the quickest. Um, you know, it's been a little bit of a disappointing season for Tennessee. They came in with um, you know, coming off of last year where they spent some time in the playoff bracket, uh, ended up going to the Orange Bowl and winning. And there was a lot of, you know, hype of, you know, to, to repeat with a similar season. And, um, you know, it didn't didn't quite materialize. Tennessee lost to Florida early, uh, had a loss that they blew in the second half against Alabama, and then two blowout losses late in the year to Missouri and Georgia. So, um and I would say, really, Tennessee's kind of searching for a signature win of any sort this season. I mean, right now it's probably Kentucky or, or Texas A&M. So mm-hmm. a win over Iowa, I think, would, would be a nice cap to this season for the Vols. But um, it, it really will be, I, I think, when Tennessee's on offense and Iowa's on defense, is it, going to be fascinating. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Because, yeah, because, um, you know, you have – Tennessee's offense isn't quite as explosive and quite as big play dominant as it was last year, 
but the tempo that they go with is still the same, and that's something that Iowa hasn't seen at all this year. And I would imagine it's it's not the easiest thing to uh, prepare for in practice because you got to have somebody simulating that speed, and and that's uh, hard to do. So, um, but again, you know, this is I would say honestly, Tennessee uh, tries to get the running game established before anything else, just the way that this year has gone. So. Um, it'll be a great test for Iowa's defense to see if they can adjust and, and um, you know, really counter what the Vols will do. And then, you know, on the flip side, um, <laughs> Tennessee's defense has, has definitely been a sore spot and, and more specifically the secondary. So um, th- there should be some favorable things when, when Deacon Hill and the offense dive into what Tennessee is going to offer. Um, it's an aggressive defense, but that kind of, allows a chance for some big plays over the top. So going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup for me and everyone else who's <laughs> involved in following this game. Yeah, the uh, the early line on this game is Tennessee minus 8.5. So uh, I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, I thought it might be closer. Uh, maybe I have too high of an opinion on Iowa's defense. But uh, what do you make of that line? Why uh, why do you think Tennessee is favored so heavily? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's a little high. Um, just because, you know, other than the two elite teams that Iowa has played this year, um, they haven't gotten blown out and really haven't been, you know, close to getting blown out. And so um, I I, I would think it would probably be closer than eight just because that's the way the season's gone this year. Um, If I had to guess one reason that that Tennessee is probably favored in this game is – um, I will say that Tennessee's defense has been has shown a little more life this year than Iowa's offense has, even though both yeah. are kind of the clear liability uh, <laughs> for the team. And they, the, the other unit is clearly the one running the show. You know, Tennessee's defense has had some decent games this year where they, you know, they they had a good defensive game against A&M, um, you know, decent game against Kentucky. And so, you know, Iowa's offense has shown a, a few bright spots, very, very sporadically. Very few, but, yes. Yes, but so I, I would feel like that maybe Tennessee's defense is a little less of a liability right now than Iowa's offense, and, you know, that who can kind of break through um, from their weak spot and make a difference could be a, a big factor in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple – uh, one storyline maybe to watch is the two times that Iowa has played in a Big Ten championship game. They've lost their bowl game, obviously got blown out by Stanford uh, way mm-hmm. back when. And then uh, a couple years ago in Orlando, uh, played actually a really good game uh, offensively against Kentucky, but uh, Will Levis and Wandale Robinson uh, got the best of, of the Hawkeyes at the end, and Petrus throws that, that uh, game-ending interception. Uh, a couple stats on Tennessee's ledger that uh, – really stand out for me as, man, they, they take a lot of penalties, 98 penalties this year, yeah. um, uh, which is just a crazy number, 71 yards a game, and also 24 minutes. In, that can't be right. Average time of possession is only 24.02 this year for the Vols. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how it goes. When this team is rocking and rolling, um, those scoring drives go quickly. And, okay. and you know, the big plays, ha- again, have not happened – quite as consistently as they did last year, but um, oftentimes uh, that's kind of what, what aids that. But, yes, they, the penalty uh, yardage is not surprising to hear. Um, uh, yet another 
you know, very clear contrast between these teams. <laughs> exactly. Um, because, because Iowa, obviously, you know, that's an area that they thrive in. So, um, and, and one thing to watch, um, and this kind of goes into how quickly Iowa's defense can adjust to Tennessee's speed is Tennessee has been pretty money on their opening drive this year. You know, they took mm. a seven nothing lead against, uh, Georgia with a big play. Um, they scored even, even all the games that they lost. Um, it seems like they had an early lead and, and you know, that can kind of make sense. Um, you know, the defense needs a time to, to adjust, but, um, you know, with the way Iowa's offense is, is going, uh, getting in a seven nothing hole could be, uh, you know, mentally, uh, <laughs> a mental hurdle to have to clear. So, um, I, I think it'll be big for Iowa's defense to come out right away and show that, you know, they're not rattled and not caught off guard by the way Tennessee plays because, um, once you kind of get past that opening drive, teams have seemed to settle in a little bit and adjust to Tennessee. So that'll be yeah. something to watch as well. I want to save some some time for women's basketball because uh, that was a great game last night and Hilton. Yeah. But one last question: uh, three guys. Uh, you know, I realize things can change in a matter of hours as we record this, but uh, looks like three guys for Tennessee that could be potential opt outs. Obviously, quarterback mm-hmm. Joe Milton, uh, sixth year senior Orlando product. So maybe he goes back to Orlando one last time. Defensive end Tyler Barron and running back Jalen Wright, who's uh, clearly their best, uh, you know, rusher over a thousand yard rusher, are the team's top NFL prospects. Any uh, anything you've read or heard on uh, opt outs? How that could change this game? Yeah, you know, it, it is a little bit unfortunate again that Cade McNamara is hurt because that would have been a great storyline. Joe Milton and Cade McNamara obviously were in the same quarterback oh, right. room at Michigan, yeah. and uh, McNamara actually. Uh, took over for Milton during that COVID season. So that would have been um, kind of a, a cool thing to, to write about and look at. But um, I, I think Joe Milton will probably play. That seems to be the vibe right now. Um, the other two, I, I'd say, are 50-50. Um, Jalen Wright, I think, would be a, a pretty big absence. He's been their top running back and um, really has kind of led the charge on the ground the, the back half of the season. Um, and then Tyler Barron's a, a good defensive piece as well. So, um, but I think that I think Milton would would be the main one if yeah. he was out. That would kind of make things a little different. But sounds like he's like you said, a Orlando guy, Florida guy. Sounds like he's gonna yeah gonna play and um, yeah let it rip. rip J- on the yeah, first. Jalen Wright, uh, seven point four yards per carry. So yeah, definitely a weapon there. All right, let's go to women's hoops here. Dark, I got about six minutes left. Uh, Hawkeyes defeat the Cyclones, sixty-seven fifty-eight. Man. It was loud, loud, loud last night. There were Hawk fans there, but it was definitely the the most hostile environment uh, that Iowa may see all year. It'll be close. Um, yeah. and I'm sure some other crowds will be kind of loud, but uh, you know, a lot of those uh, uh, road sellouts, I imagine, are going to include Hawkeye fans. It'll be, it'll be real fascinating to see, like you know, or are those marketing people like really selling their team on coming out to beat Iowa? So. I have no idea what to expect for the road crowds. I don't expect the Kohl Center to be like that <laughs> on Sunday. No. Uh, maybe I'll be laughing last there. But uh, anyway, Hawks get down 55-54 to 54 with 418 to go. At that point, Dargan, uh, I, you know, I was still pretty confident Iowa would find a way, but they just had not played well all night. And then they finally turned it on. Really a veteran team outclassing a freshman-laden team down the stretch. And uh, Clark and Martin really got it done at the end. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I wrote coming into this game that Iowa would get a chance to showcase its 
uh, veteran maturity um, in this game, given the environment and the in the Iowa State lineup being so new. But um, I didn't really anticipate it being this necessary as it ended up being. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think you saw a, a team that's used to winning time, used to close games, used to you know, even if it's not gone perfectly for three and a half quarters. You know, as long as you control that last five minutes, you're probably going to come out of there with a win. And that's really what you saw. And so, you know, I think just given the the environment and the rivalry element to this, I, I would imagine Lisa Bluter was happy getting out of Hilton with mm-hmm. any kind of win. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's indicative of, of something larger that, you know, they did struggle offensively for the better part of, you know, really outside of Caitlin and, and Kate Martin at the end. Um, but Again, you know, this is an important step for them to to conquer and and get this one behind them. And you know, again, you know, the road the road scene doesn't stop, and it will be interesting to see when or on Sunday what the breakdown is in Wisconsin. You know, that's a team that I was not lost to, I believe, since two thousand seven. Um, it's pretty crazy their dominance over Wisconsin. So, good way to head into that one, uh, taking care of business in Ames last night. Yeah, uh, that'll open Big Ten play on Sunday. You'll be in Madison, but uh, as I keep kind of pointing out, like you got to check these wins off. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's only you know early December, but if you want to get a one seed, if you want to get a favorable draw on the tournament, uh, these are the types of games you got to win, and it's a good win. It's a road win. It's going to help them, you know, in the in the power rankings, the net, whatever. Uh, so that was good. Uh, Iowa's lineup down the stretch, Dargan. You know, Hannah Stolke did play. Uh, it was mm-hmm. kind of on a pitch count, so we didn't see her. Down the stretch, it was good to see her hit a three, but made both her free throws. Uh, but uh, you saw Clark, Marshall, Martin, a Fulter, and Goodman down the stretch, and that group really played some good defense uh, at the end of that game. Uh, I know folks are, are kind of down on Gabby Marshall right now, but she's going to hit those open shots. We've seen them. Um, she just isn't hitting them right now. But man, she plays such good defense. You just just take your time and watch her. Uh, she plays really good defense. And then Martin uh, played good defense, and Goodman played good defense as well. I mean, uh, Audie Crooks had no field goals in the second half after kind of dominating the first half. Wow. The defense, I, yeah, I feel like the defense has gotten a lot better this year. For sure. And that's, again, a, another sign of how this program has evolved and, and really uh, embraced all that comes with being at the top. Because, you know, you, you obviously, Caitlin going off is possible any game and and that can usually be enough to win you most games but for this team to now have uh really two and and really three instances where the offense has been spotty at times this being one and then the two Kansas State games and for them to be able to uh be in a similar situation like they were the first time against Kansas State fight through that and come out with a win I think really uh emphasizes where this team's focus is and how you know, they are geared up for what's going to happen at the end of the season and know how important these moments are in getting there. So um, it, it was there was one interesting moment um, that they showed on TV where I think it was after Gabby missed her last three and Caitlin really had a, a personal kind of pep talk with her um, that they showed very clearly on mm. TV. So that was that was kind of a, a good leadership moment to see play out from from that standpoint. But uh, yeah, she's she's. Um, you know, kind of taking the same route she did last year, so it'll be interesting to see if she picks it back up, uh, you know, when the lights come on here later in Big Ten play. Yeah, and the other thing you, people forget about Marshall, she still does stretch the floor. People have to account for yeah. her uh, when she's mm-hmm. out there 
on that three point line. And I don't think you can say the same for hardly anyone else. You know, even even uh, Sid, Sid Falter's playing great, and I think she should be in that crunch time lineup. But uh, you know, she's not the three point threat. Uh, that Marshall is. Right. Um, la- I mean, we've only got about a minute left, so I got to hurry. But uh, Caitlin Clark gets three thousand points. I guess we should mention <laughs> that. Uh, oh yeah, buries a three, scored every single point in the four- in the third quarter for Iowa. Uh, take out her one for nine second quarter, which again, when Iowa the rest of Iowa's offense isn't playing well, she's got to shoot. So <laughs> that's their best yeah. offense then. So she ends up with thirty five points. So. Uh, what do you make about her climb? Um, I'm going to be writing about this a little bit later, but yeah, 3,000 points already, and she's got a ways to go this season. Yeah, I, I wrote this in my lead last night. Uh, she has normalized the extraordinary because yeah. uh, there should have been some huge buildup to 3,000 points, and there just wasn't, and that's a compliment because she's made these seemingly unreachable records just kind of come naturally, and um, you know, barring an injury, she's going to pass Kelsey Plum this year. And, you know, it's it's pretty incredible to see how she's turning these big moments into kind of like almost uh, <laughs> inevitable uh, just by her dominance. So another another big one uh, on the belt uh, notch last night. Thank you, Dargan. Uh, we'll be following your coverage Sunday from Madison, uh, Wisconsin. And then you and I will be back together uh, next weekend at Wells Fargo Arena yep. uh, for the Hawkeyes against Cleveland State. That'll be the, a fun uh, doubleheader, uh, more so on the women's side. The men's matchup is terrible, but... Uh, that women's game should be a lot of fun and really, really electric in there. So see you then. Awesome, Chad. Appreciate it. All right. Catch our Cyhawk men's coverage tonight after the game and Friday morning at hawkcentral.com. Uh, as I mentioned, Dargan will have you covered in Madison on Sunday. Uh, Iowa men against Michigan on Sunday. Tyler Tashman's got you covered there. So we will catch you next Wednesday night here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Chad Lystico saying good night.